Hello before Janet. Hello. Thank you. <laughs> I'm gonna be so responsible. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Okay. Hello, Lee. Oh, hi, Lee. <laughs> Hello. Yeah, I'm hesitating uh, because this uh, section six omega on page or whatever it is that we're appropriate to read in this time is just like ending an extraordinary human relationship and you know weather's gray it's already raining it's cold in the summertime and so ending a relationship does not seem to be so i hope i hope somebody has been doing some incredible experiments and would like to share about what you've been discovering or heavy duty questions that you're up against that you just want to put on the table has anybody got any of those kind of things I do. Go ahead. There was um, in in transforming my partnership of twenty years that I thought was over a year and a half ago. Um, there was something that I was noticing in 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 like how we negotiate the space or how I ask for something that I want. And, um, and even if it's like messy and, and just, you know, just how we navigate, you know, intimacy now. And, um, and, and there was something that came up recently and it was really, it was really messy. And after reflecting on it, um, it was really messy, but, you know, we were able to negotiate and, and, and I felt so much joy, um, about that. But what was coming to me is like how doing this work and, and and initiate you know doing these initiations into adulthood has allowed me to um have this kind of partnership now and and it's like that initiation like allows me to it, it's like it creates more initiation or something like in in the relationship and in me and then that like creates more initiation and it's like this i don't know like i'm 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 sensing like this initiation machine or something that like happens and I was even wondering if anybody has, like, if that's anybody has sensed something like that. Um, I think there's like other factors in there, like courage and whatnot, but it's just like this. Yeah. It's like, well, I thought of vortex, but it's not vortex. It's, it's sense like a machine. So, um, before somebody says something about sort of your question, I, because we were together, we paired together in the previous study group mm-hmm. where we had this exchange and I was just so, I was blown away by your story of um, having had a, a husband for so many years and being stuck in this prison of a, a marriage and this idea of what a relationship is and, and, and recreating yourself so you could keep being together. And I was wondering mm-hmm. if you could write something about that mm-hmm. because you, it is so, I mean, Clinton and I, and, and I've worked with, with couples and in terms of being in this stuck place and, mm-hmm. and there's a possibility of reinvention, like of starting over saying, I don't know you. I actually don't know myself. Let's, let's discover each other again. And most couples will choose to separate, to keep the resentment, to keep the identity, to keep 
were their righteousness about who they were or or that they were hurt or something and it is so rare to hear such a reinvention that is working i mean i just want to say that so many and yes i and i'll write that down and i will yeah and i just shared something like which is kind of just like a snippet of some of of like how we were negotiating intimacy recently um and i could see how it could build on that and also like some ingredients that that i as i reflect back i see were important for us to be able to get to where we are which is also not some perfect rosy thing and we are still working hard but like we're both in it and wanting to go to the next step you know and that's just all that's what we have right now cool thank you i just want to add drop into this part of the conversation that we're born and raised in a in an education system where that gives certificates or degrees and we're saving up saving stamps in a book and then you have a full book of stamps and like we're oriented towards this completion of something like you collect your superman cards and you get all 52 cards and you you're done and there's this assumption of getting somewhere and then being whatever it's it's like like retiring and then going on your journey around the world or it's summertime so then you worked all year and now you get your two weeks vacation and it it's like we're just oriented towards this uh achieving something and then being at some kind of a plateau that goes forever like paradise you die and you go to heaven you know the die and go to heaven thing is really um welded into our worldview and our strategy and all that and so i and i'm suggesting that it's just that reality is not like that that reality is better than that is what i'm suggesting that it's not like you know you watch all 12 uh, issues whatever what are they called episodes and then the series is over you know that's where we're it's our whole orientation is that it it ends and then that's it it's over like okay like you've reached somewhere and accomplished something but i'm suggesting it's not really that way and the shift out of i want to i want to you know create an ideal community and then live in there happily ever after and this happily ever after thing is just crippling it's a it's a takes us out of reality and also kills our in collaborative invention possibilities. And so the suggestion is that perhaps the collaborative invention is actually the way, and which is a fantastic thing because you can collaboratively invent this and then you can collaboratively invent that. And then you, like, there's no end to this. And so this is a a, a wonderful discovery, I'd say. And, and it, I'm saying, let's not try to put it back together the old way. Because that they lived happily ever after is where most, you know, good stories end. And then, but that's where they should start. And that's where they, you know, my life is better than any of these movies I ever watch. Because I get to just ongoingly invent stuff. And so anyway, yeah. Um, But Nicole, thank you for sharing that. Thank you. And and yay. <laughs> I want to 
share that I am experiencing something similar and not in terms of time. It's a recent uh, uh, experience of co-creating intimacy. And at a certain point, there was so much reactivity that for me, it was that it was over. And there was these stories that I don't want this for me. And what I discovered is that we started going together into the map of resentment. And one of my gremlin's favorite food is resentment. And we tried to go into that place and create a new timeline. And it is actually possible. And before that, we had to say it was over. What, what we had until that moment, it was over. It ended. And from that moment, it was this opening space for something new to happen. And what I'm discovering also is that there's a willingness present to deal with shit each other shit, right? Like I have my projections, I have my things and I'm going to deal with them. And he's doing the same and he's willing to do that. And I'm willing to do that. And, and we can be together in that. And it's just, it's, it's kind of magical. And I'm also discovering this place where relation creating intimacy had to be in a certain way where I had to be close to the person. We had to be next to each other and, and that's bullshit. I feel connected. I'm creating intimacy and we are not in the same physical space. So this is, it's this ongoing place of discovery and, going into different places that I always wanted to go and build something with someone. And it's really exciting to go there. And I thought it was that, just that. And it was, <laughs> but it's reborn. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. This is, um, I'm I'm getting a fear, and the fear is about uh, this thing about um, that relationship is a thing. Something like you know, here we just have kind of gone through the December time, you know, the end of the year time, the whole Christmas family together, holiday, New Year celebration period of time. And then each of us had our own experience of how that was for us. And we might have had wishes that were fulfilled or wishes that were not fulfilled. And we might have had stuff was happening that was disgusting and horrible and just despicable. And we might have had stuff happening that was chillingly wonderful, like absolutely these moments that were just working. And so the dream we still have this dream in us of having 
a relationship and that's this thing about the relationship is a thing i have one you don't you don't have one i do i had one and i lost it i had one and it got broken i'm trying to fix my relating so my relationship and so the invitation in this conversation is to keep practicing on shifting out of relating to a relationship as a thing that and you can even try to stop using the word relationship because it's such a noun, such a thing. And you can shift to using this verb relating. And there's even languages like German, apparently, where it's, it's, you can't even say that word. You have to invent a new word to say relating. And, but find that word and start using the word. And, and, and then what happens is, is as you go along, in your moment-to-moment day, you can check your relating. How How's your relating with your neighbor? How's your relating with the cheese guy? How's your relating with your, um, your mom? You know, and so, okay, what you end up with is, is a whole day full of relating and with a lot of feedback for you about what's working, what's not working, what experiments are you trying, and how is it working out? Can I add something? Yeah. I mean, the even in the word is how is my relating going, you know, with the cheeseman? And it's if the cheeseman is not next to you, then in a way you're not relating to him. So it needs to be it, it it's about the present. It's about the now. So relating is in the in the immediate now. But you can think of, well, how's my relationship with the cheeseman? And then, then there's this whole huge now oh, okay yesterday i you know we he smiled at me or whatever but it's this then it enters this this big now that exit from the present there's a story that enters what you know a relationship but the relating is immediate it's like there's this immediatism to to relating and if you're in this immediate relating then when you notice something that you go, gosh, I, I want to try something different. You know, I just said this, I saw the reaction or I saw how it did not land in the space in the way I wanted it to. You go, okay, I'm having a do-over. I want a do-over. And you backtrack, you know, three seconds, 10 seconds, a minute, three minutes. You backtrack and start over again as if you did not even do the first time with the, your new attempt, your new experiment. And so you can do do-overs in relating, but you cannot really do do-overs in a relationship because it's it's like chiseled in stone. You know, it's it's already written down. It has been written and it, it went that way. And then it is over or it ended or whatever those kinds of conclusions come. But if you're relating as a, as we're doing right now, we're all relating in here. You know, how is it, what's your next creation? What's your next experiment? <clears throat> and as an add-on, as an add-on, I notice that my box and my gremlin take the concept of having a relationship to feel better than people who don't have one. It's like, it's, it's immediately taken and used to be superior or inferior if I don't have a relationship. Yeah, a thing. 
Yeah, I mean, thanks for bringing that up because it's often the case that so many times I have seen that people use their intimate partners, whoever whoever it is, to use that as a primary source of gremlin food. And if that's if you're doing that, it's really it's really time to just go call up the gremlin transformation people and say, I surrender. I'm I please run me through the the meat grinder of the gremlin transformation process because um, I have, I've sacrificed so much for a survival strategy that doesn't even apply anymore. The gremlin survival strategy was super for childhood and adolescence, but to use a gremlin survival strategy after you're 18 years old is you're, you're, you're losing your opportunities to live as an adult in the world. And the world's designed for us to live as adults in the world. So we're missing out on a lot. So really, what you, if you catch yourself doing that even once, it's like, okay, it's over. This is over. I'm, I'm going to take my gremlin into dog training school. And we're going to start like that. Thanks, Kian, for the story. The internet is still working. This is not radio. This is not dead time. We're all we're all checking things out. Everybody's the moment of holy shit, you know. I'm and then putting something on the table so somebody else can go next. So I could speak because the topic for today really relates to my current situation in terms of letting go of a relationship and navigating how that um, excuse me um, how that transforms and what's how I'm going to relate be relating to this person and what kind of relating to do going forward. Well, on page 217, in the first section is called Ending or Not. And it says there are three sensible reasons for relating to end. Now, so I'm just to make everybody clear, if anybody's reading along, you'll see I changed some words as I'm reading along. Because if I was writing this book now, I would write it the way I say it now. So using the word relating instead of the word relationship. So there's three sensible reasons for relating to end. Violence, you know, physical violence, drugs, alcohol, that kind of thing, or lack of intimacy. None of these circumstances provides an absolute reason to stop relating because nobody can decide for you to end your relating just as nobody can decide for you to start relating. And besides all that, there's nothing in the rule book that says you have to make sense. So the first thing says there are three sensible reasons, and there's nothing in the rule book that says that you have to make sense. 
this is a wide open play space. That's what's so great about it. So violence in a relation in relating violence while relating may be physical violence, but it can also be psychological violence or emotional violence, intellectual violence, energetic violence, you know, getting space invasion like that. There's really different kinds of violence. Uh, drugs may be legal or illegal drugs. So there's so many drugs being prescribed by people wearing white coats and stethoscopes. You know, people we're so taught to give our authority away, even including our health, that when somebody in a white coat prescribes some pill for us to take, we just go, okay, this is for my own good. I'm supposed to take this pill. And then we go start taking these pills. And then there are these effects. And then there are these side effects. And the people who are distributing the pills do not have to experience either one. Mm -hmm. They're not, they're not experiencing the effects and they're not experiencing the side effects. And you are, cause you're taking those pills. And there's, there's so many horror stories of people taking pills. I mean, there's a word, which I don't remember right now for the cause of death being, uh, prescribed drugs does anybody know that word if you look at the cause of death in america or something like that the, the most common causes of death it's like number three or four on the list you know there's heart disease car crashes and prescription drugs it's killing off people and you know that's not the main reason i'm talking about this that it's killing people because you know there's too many people on the planet as it is so but what I'm saying is, is that if the white coat guy starts telling you to take, you know, this drug or that drug, it doesn't mean you need to do it. You have the power to just look at him and, you know, shake your head and smile and walk away. And I've done that. I walk into a doctor's office, you know, I had my shoulder. I said, could you please, you know, do something with my shoulder? And she says, well, we can give you cortisone. I'll inject cortisone into your shoulder. I just smiled and walked away and I had to pay for the appointment, you know, but it's like, you're not going to do that to me. And so, yeah. Well, it's really useful because, because of this, having been trained to give our center away in, in the health department to have a possibility team, because sometimes the, the quote unquote diagnosis can be really scary and really uh, trigger a lot of stories and fears and, and it's great to have a possibility team that can that can have this reality check, being what's really going on, what's possible, and and for example, in possibility management, there's this entire branch of trainers and healers called the feelings practitioner, who are exactly working with physical symptoms and healing them through emotional healing processes, new distinction, and growing up. So, yeah. So thank you. So if, if you. I don't know if you've had this experience, but when you when somebody takes the psychopharmaceutical drugs, the antidepressants and the and the suppressants of the side effects of the antidepressants, the 
it puts a buffer zone between them and reality, between a person and and the world. And that what the drug is for is for the, to create this buffer zone or this numbing or this cotton effect or to disallow your experience of the intensity of mad, sad, glad, and scared. And so when somebody's doing that, they're not, they are not themselves. They have not become, they're, they're taking this pill to not be themselves and to be a kind of a zombie. And so if, you know, if that, that could be, that's the kind of drugs that it could be a reason for leaving relating, stopping relating so that, because what are you relating to? You're going to relate to the drug. Is that your thing? You know, or are you going to relate to the person? And so it's just this, it's this, it's a heavy duty question, but it's, I'm just saying that there are so many drugs out now and counter drugs and, and symptom drugs and uh, side effect drugs that it, it's a mess if you start getting entangled in that. And if you're entangled in that and you decide to not be entangled in it, then please go through the two or three month slow extract, extracting yourself from those drugs rather than trying to cut it off cold turkey and throwing them all in the trash and going, I'm done with this because that can kill you. So, And yeah. I would add something. Sometimes it can even be longer than that. So there's a men uh, possibilitator, Devin Gleason, who's been really researching wow. how to get off a brain drug. So I put the, I put the website in the chat and for him, it's been more of a couple years process that includes an, an, a, you know, an amount of emotional healing processes, gremlin transformation, uh, initiations through labs. And he, he said like, without the, like navigating the, the emotional, his emotional body, he couldn't have done it because the drugs are, have the purpose to numb the emotional body. And so, yeah, please talk to him. He's, or send the people that you know. He's uh, really great. Good question. Go. Um, so, well, actually, two questions came to mind in what you shared. The first one is in terms of um, like plant medicines and psychedelic substances and states like holotropic breath work. Um, those alter you, but they're not uh, addictions and and habits the way more pharmaceutical medications are commonly recommended to be used. Do you have a sense of how those affect relating those kinds of altered states? Yeah, it's no different. Mm -hmm. And then the so second part of the question. Wait, so just, it's a big topic. I mean, when we're, we're pandying about, you know, huge topics because, you know, there's people microdosing LSD etc or ecstasy they're going around microdosing ecstasy and and assuming that you know it just makes things better whatever why not do it you know and and so there's this but there's this world there's this kind of i don't want to call it reality it's like this isness of stuff looks dead or stuff looks I look outside right now and it's gray. There's some wind blowing and that's it. There's parked cars and there's nobody. And I, and it's not going to change for the next eight hours or something. And yet there's so much aliveness actually happening that if I don't, if I, if I'm not part of the aliveness, then I'm, I'm in some kind of a 
fantasy world in my mind because there's a there's just so much aliveness happening and so much intensity and so much relating and so much possibility happening in reality that the story world of this is boring or there's nothing happening or it's I'm dead or it's dead. This story world is a, is a fiction. I mean, there's a great little film called peaceful warrior. And if, if you haven't seen it, you should, it's just explores about that. And it's a great, I reckon it's on the list. So So if you commit, like if you just if you stop trying to avoid the deadness, like if you just go, okay, nothing's happening right now. If you just keep breathing, if you just stay with it, the next thing will happen. It will it will be right there and it will be an emotion, a three percent fear, a six percent anger, it'll be a need, it'll be an instruction, an instruction from your archetypal lineage. It will be your bright principles saying, hey, this needs to happen. Or there are these forces that you can be in alignment with when there's no drugs involved. That as soon as you start dropping drugs into your system, it cuts you off from these infinite resources that are our birthright, that we're designed to be playing with ongoingly. So is anybody wanting to say something right now? Tor, go ahead. Yeah, you had a second thing. Go ahead. Yeah. So, yeah, I really get that, you know, if you're relating to someone and they're not available because they're doing drugs regularly, then that might be a reason to stop relating to them. That's um, what this is saying. That's what we're saying. And and similarly, um, I'm wondering about process addictions rather than substance addictions, but process addictions, if they're doing a behavior that um, is taking them out of being available and there's no way to get around that, then that might be another reason to stop relating. Are you thinking of any particular process? Workaholism. So, I mean, it's a tricky thing because... It's the trickiest. I I don't know if I'd say that, but it's a tricky, the workaholism thing. It's like, what's the aholism part is uh is what the addiction is and usually the addiction is to avoid something and so there's so much shit work out there to do that are con- constructed by for example a corporation that'll put you in a cubicle and give you a computer and assign you you know move this paper to this paper and do something with it in between and this will there's no end to that stuff and it's i mean it's getting that kind of stuff is getting more and more automated. So few and fewer people are getting jobs like that. And so there are more and more people having to face reality, whatever that is. But the, the, if you start jacking into, if you get, if you start entering adulthood and you start being in connection with these infinite resources, the, there will be an, uh, a kind of ecstasy of collaborating with archetypal forces of nature because they don't have a mouth, they don't have hands, they don't have eyes, they don't have legs. They cannot interact with the world. They need a human being 
as an interface. And if you get to be this connection between heaven and earth, you will have, you will, you will be essentially working 36 hours a day and, and you can jack out. It's a straightforward thing. It's necessary for you to jack out at times because you need to sleep. You need to do nothing. Your near, your nervous system needs to catch up with your energetic body, whatever, whatever needs to happen. And for somebody who is not jacked in, you know, the, the biggest intense thing they get to do is watch some low drama television series, you know, and then when that's over, they want they want to just hang out and do nothing. And they want you to hang out and do nothing. And you're jacked into archetypal principles or archetypal forces that the the nothingness will be too painful to it's just there will be no point. There's a there's I just wanted to say it's, it's, it's a, there's no cut and dried, you know, rule book about wh- what workaholism is because, you know, I, I live with this thing over here and this thing is a dynamo of possibility and invention. So every time, almost every time we go hang out at a cafe, I, if I don't bring my beat book, I have to start writing on napkins because as soon as she relaxes, she just starts letting this her world come into the space. And I all I have to do, I have to write it down. I can't I can't not write down what she's saying because it's so it's beautiful. It's it's valuable. It's like so there's our so the downtime is the time where we get more assignments for the uptime. I mean it's like there is no downtime. So I mean so anyway, I just want to throw in this thing about is it workaholism or are you just in jacked into your archetypal lineage and being the space through which your archetypal lineage can do its work in the world? So, so Tor, again, I interrupted you. Do you have another, another thing? Well, no, I, that's really, um, I think, uh, clarifying for me. You come to the issue of how do you um, relate while you're working or accept that sometimes you're, I'm not going to be available to relate while I'm working or my partner's not going to be the person I'm trying to relate to is only available, not available as much as I would like. And then facing, I guess it's about me relating to life in a way that's rich enough that I don't miss them when they're not available. And then I can treasure and enjoy them when they are keep checking it's really useful to keep checking which i and which me is speaking when you're saying that stuff Mm -hmm. it's valuable to know which because we have these parts you know we have these parts that take over and if you don't realize which part is saying claims this is the i now this is who i am right now i i'm i need this i want this and it's actually the child contamination of your adult ego state or it's actually some old decision you made about, you know, nobody notices me. Or like it could be all these different parts from your, you know, your shadow world. The part, the invitation is to is to go meet them. Okay, which eye is trying to take over right now? What's their purpose? What's what's really going on in that eye? And put that on the table. And it is powerful to take the ride of finding out what's behind that eye right now. 
I just wanted to say that I... Uh, Which eye? Uh, the... I'm going to sneeze. <laughs> Which eye? <laughs> I posted the a movie in the chat called uh, Freedom Riders with Hilarious Swank. And it's an amazing movie in terms of seeing a woman jack into her, really her archetypal lineage and working, you know, working three jobs to make her archetypal lineage happen and being with a guy who's completely in modern culture, completely in patriarchy, completely in this idea that um, he, you know, he owns his partner, something like that. And the, 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 the conversation that happened in, in the movie is, I think is really accurate to, to, uh, reality being when somebody jacks in, somebody starts to get what their job is, what their mission is, what their, and the ecstasy that comes with that is like the, the extra hours is just part of the ecstasy. Okay. Can I? Yeah. I say something. I'm. I know for a fact that when this book was written, we hadn't discovered a bunch of stuff in possibility management, and for example, we hadn't discovered um, dramaholism, which is an addiction to low drama, an addiction to being somewhere on the low drama triangle, often uh, being a victim. I mean, most often being a victim. Or we hadn't discovered this condition of gremlin violence, that this part of gremlin survival strategy that is to create violence uh, either against you know ourselves or violence against others. Or we haven't discovered uh, gremlin self-cannibalism, which is really this violence against oneself of basically eating eating oneself, eating one's heart or one's soul or one's being as a way to avoid the intensity of, of being. Um, so if somebody can just post those three websites there on the chat, that would, if somebody knows them, can somebody post them? Cool. Christina, you'll do it. Thank you. And so uh, the, for example, the violence, it's possible, you know, to have an addiction to violence as part of a gremlin survival strategy. And it's possible to heal that. It's possible to transform it. And so there's this program called Violence Anonymous, which is uh, copied on the model of Alcoholic Anonymous. And it's taking these steps of um, what is the violence about, like deconstructing where this violence is coming from, what's the purpose of it, what is it trying to avoid. And we have a we, I know a few people who are doing this process right now, 12-step program with a sponsor is just like having a coach in possibility management, and it's working. Like the, the, the triggers don't, you know, stop happening. There's an awareness that is created, and and so it it's like it, it on a, like sort of on a blank page or face value it seems like okay if there's any kind of violence in a relating that would be the you know it's the ultimate reason to to say you know no i'm i'm going to protect myself i'm going to protect my body i'm going to you know i want to live something like that and um when you know this is sort of what you were talking about sonia in the beginning of the call of 
when two people are willing or are on this path of transformation, when the people relating are on a path of transformation, then there's this there's this possibility that even even uh, addiction to low drama, even addiction to violence, even addiction to drug can be transformed so that there's a possibility of relating. Christina, while you're while you're putting these up for people, will you also put up a new website I've been working on or we have been working on, which is called being yourself, being yourself.mystrikely.com. And one of the one of the discoveries in that putting out that website is that when I when a person is being adaptive, one of the ways a person is not being themselves is that they're being adaptive. And if a person is being adaptive, they're being violent to themselves. We are being, I am being violent to myself if I am being adaptive. And which is to, which is to mean, you know, I don't say what I want. I don't make boundaries. I give my authority away. I be nice. I be good. I try to match what the other person wants. And so this whole adaptiveness is if somebody's being adaptive with me, how can I be with them? Because I cannot, because they're not there, because they're being adaptive, they're putting on a show, they're behaving as if they are a certain way when it's not actually true. So they're, they're being violent with themselves. And the way out of being adaptive is violence anonymous. And I don't think people get have been getting this. So it's really a sh- kind of a surprising thing. It's like dive into this team of people who are taking radical responsibility for being violent and then violent with themselves because it's it's, it's a similar, it's a parallel uh, condition as the gremlin self-cannibalism. So that kind of a thing. Yeah, I can say I've taken... 58 years and just this year I've finally started to understand a lot of my dysfunction in terms of gremlin self-cannibalism and being violent to myself by being adaptive and it's so extreme that like my therapist now is saying you need to take from a break from you and trying to do the coaching and the kinds of work that I've done because I so easily fall into what she calls a performer mode the adaptive mode where I'm seeking to make other people happy so now I need to find a farm to get my hands in the ground and get out of my head and all my adaptive habits. Thank you. Mm-hmm. So in the, this, unless somebody was going to say something, somebody going to say something, Gina, go ahead. Can you share any ways to work on your gremlin um, while you're waiting to maybe get into a training? Well, because yeah. Training. There's, well, you, there's. You can wait three days. Three days. Yeah, three uh, days, and then the Gremlin transformation starts on Friday. Are you going, Gina? Are you going in that? I can't go to it. Okay. So there's five websites about Gremlin stuff, at least, and every, I think, almost all of them have experiments in them to do, and these experiments. Every time somebody actually does an experiment, they're so excited that it actually works. They usually write us a little note of gratitude. And there are not as many notes of gratitude as I would think because there are so many experiments and so many people, but the 
how many people actually do the experiments. So it's different from reading an experiment and understanding an experiment to actually doing the experiment. So to do these gremlin experiments is 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 fantastic. It's really. Gina, have you done rage climbing? I'm in it right now. Great. And have you done fear club? No. Okay. So I recommend to do more than one rage club. Is it a four week one? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's sort of four week is a, is a, you start scratching the surface about, you know, discovering your rage in I've delivered about maybe 15 series of rage club. And each time is a whole new discovery because also I, I transform between the rage club. I get to be like, oh, God, there's this whole part of my rage, whether it's emotional or feeling, that I didn't know about. And so especially for a survival strategy of being a good girl and being adaptive and uh, being also this the, the white widow and using sexual energy as a way to protect yourself, it, it will really just keep doing rage club. Just do, you know, three or four uh, this year. And and that will help with the gremlin because if you don't have this rage back of it's really the the rage so much of it is is also this part of commitment or or you know practice or noticing so much clears up when you can finally feel your rage and work out through the emotional you know uh, that seems low level but the actually huge rage of having been adaptive or having you know like Clinton said, like hurt yourself, being violence against yourself, then when that clears up, then you have more space in yourself to start noticing your gremlin. And and the fear club, which I also recommend is, uh, you, you know, working with your gremlin is a lot about low-level noticing. So it's a lot about noticing. And the noticing is scary because the noticing is reflect, I mean, your gremlin is your underworld. It's dark in there. It's nasty. You know, it's really how you've betrayed, you've you hurt other people on purpose. Like your gremlin wanted to do that. And your gremlin is a part of you. So it's really nasty in there. And, and it's, you know, coming, you know, having some kind of self-image about being a good person, you know, or a good girl or, um, a nice person to try to face into the horror of the situation is so scary that fear club is is like an ally. Then you get your fear back in being, okay, I can be afraid of my own underworld, but I don't have to be afraid of my own fear of my underworld. And that will be your, your access point. So, so really, yeah, work with your feelings. That will be a great entry door into, into gremlin work. Thank you. Thank you for your question. Phyllis, you're muted. Yeah. Thank you. This, as far as being adaptive goes, I've been a star at that in my <laughs> life. And, uh, and this is in relating with Ed here, that this is really one of the first times that I'm not being a star at being adaptive and I'm, and we're relating in an adult manner. I am relating in an adult manner and, and still there are parts of me that wants to relate, wants to be adaptive. 
I, you know, I still, I notice it and, you know, we've been talking about it, but I just, I just want to say what a relief it is. It's just, it's, um, you know, I get to be authentic again and, oh my God, it's just, it's great. And I, and I really, um, you know, in doing this work, I, and the work I've been doing my whole life really, but particularly starting this work, I think in 2016 or whenever, uh, I, I really, I really appreciate where I've come with that. So just wanted to say that. Okay. Uh, Dimitra, go ahead. Yes, I want to say thank you, Phyllis, for sharing. I really celebrate that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm celebrating too. I'm celebrating myself. I'm so glad we changed the time of the study group so you can come and tell us. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> There's no better person to celebrate. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> Anything from anybody else? Yeah. yeah I was, Go ahead. Well, I, Ines, would you... Um, would you say a few words? Yes. Um, I'm also grateful that I can join, join the group um, at this time now. And it, uh, yeah, I'm just going through um, my um, relating has ended and I made the decision to end. And over, yeah, yeah, lots of adapting on both sides. And then on, I stayed in the in the relating because we both were committed to creating something else together and growing, um, evolving, transforming. And in the end, I. I couldn't avoid being dishonest to myself anymore and lying to myself about what I really wanted in life and that that was not that. So I made space for something else entirely to come into my life. And it's, I'm, I'm in the process of that. So it was a conscious decision in the end. Um, and before it was this... Staying with it, staying with it in the hope that it would transform and and we would both become adult enough in our relating. Yeah. And we have, in a way, things definitely transformed. But it's still it's it's you know, just just got honest with what that, that this still wasn't what I wanted. And something else so yeah and um first time i'm here and it's exactly the topic and i'm i'm dealing with so thank you <laughs> perfect yeah thank, thank you. you i mean the next sentence in the book is it goes using violence or drugs or whatever 
as a reason to stop relating is completely understandable. But no matter how understandable a reason is, using a reason to end your relating gives the reason the responsibility for your decision, gives a reason the power, not you. And giving the power of your decision to a reason is an attempt to avoid responsibility for making the choice. And so there, there are so many forces at work in our lives that don't, they're, they're too large to fit into a reason. And so but people will go, well, why? You know, why, why are you stopping or why are you doing whatever? And you come up with a reason and then the reason has the power and they understand it. You know, it fits into their world. You go, ah, oh, okay, I get it. But then the reason has the power. And so it's a, it's a big thing to just look at people and say, kind of like what you did, Edith. It's just mm -hmm. like, I chose this because I'm choosing this. I, cho I choose, I want something different or I'm, I want that or I'm trying something else or without, without attributing the whole thing to a reason. I just wanted to, it's just right there in the book about reasons make things kind of easier for people to understand, but it, it costs you a lot in terms of who's navigating your life. The logic, you know, is logic navigating your world? And then people have to suffer at the, uh, in the logic world of your reasons. You know, it, I've been with people in organizations, and I'm sure you have too who you know justify whatever whatever they're up to with some kind of easily understandable reason and you're supposed to accept it you're supposed to swallow the reason and go okay I'm on board I'm with you you used a really good reason and my logic says I have this you know I can understand the reason so I'm with you but that's it's such a fake world it's such a it's an intellectual it's cut off from life with this logic and these reasons. And so, and, and just because somebody uses a really good reason does not mean they're not wrong. You know, it's because you can use a really good reason for the wrong thing. So the world of reasons is to be suspected. <laughs> Ingrid. You're, you're, yeah, you're, turn your, yeah. Yeah. Um, two weeks ago, in the meeting from the book group, you said to Habet, you spoke to Habet about exquisite pain. And this word, those two words stuck with me. And I noticed for myself, I'm in a really... I'm relating to a man who is not doing this work and and I still am I am with him and I feel fear to say that and it is about exquisite pain and the exquisite pain has nothing to do with him it is about 
my underworld and my being. There happens the exquisite pain. And as long as I'm willing to hold space for this transformation happens in me and it has an impact, it has an impact on relating and uh, I'm 37 and a half years together with that man and I'm still, I feel the willingness of um, widening my space to allow that exquisite pain to transform me, still growing. And uh, I think that's all I wanted to share. Ingrid, if, if you could permit me to ask you a question, because we're sitting here looking out the window and it's this garbage truck came down the street and these guys in the orange suits jumped out, grabbed the orange plastic bucket, stuck it on the back. It dumped all the garbage and it's down the road. In a few seconds, they, they perfectly emptied the garbage and the streets are totally clean. So it all looks like it's working. But I, I'm having this exquisite pain about why is there so much garbage every week? Why is there that much garbage and where are they putting it? Where, there's no place to put this stuff. It cannot be put anywhere. There's no away because we're on this planet. It's just this ball. There's no, you can't send it to the sun or something. And so I'm, so this, what can you just talk about? What is the exquisite pain about? What is that thing? What is it? Is it like a, a contrast or something? Can you just talk about it? What yeah. Is it really? I think it's it's the place where bright world and shadow world meets. And it is like like friction or whatever and and when i allow, allow this friction to to be there then something is happening and it's not understandable for my absolutely not with my head and there is even pain, I feel pain, I feel feelings and 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 below that there is like a level of trust that that this that this work this allowance for that to happen, to happen, um, transform something. 
it, it's a transforming process. Will you do this experiment and add the word love into what you're describing? Yeah, I think this is love. Love is all of that. The love is all of that. Can you, like, where the, where the bright world hits the shadow world? Yeah. And there's love, like, can you just, you're describing stuff I just never could describe before. And if you could just describe that. It is like if I allow that, then if he is at the shadow side, something can pass here and become conscious, I would say. So it's a... And the... The thing is that it has nothing to do, to do with the other person. It's in really in me. It's in me, and I I have no other words in the moment. Thank you. Thank you, Ingrid. It sounds like me, to me, it's like bhakti, like devotion. That's what came up for me when I was hearing what you were saying. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Hey, Janet, do you mm -hmm. want to say anything about what's going on over there? You want to share anything about it? When I breathe through the lump in my throat, I get it, Ingrid. Last night I watched Freedom Writers. I'm connecting as woman connected to everything, connecting to everything that's been said here. The space between where the bright principal world and the shadow world meet, Ingrid is that delicious pain of being human <laughs> and being a woman that's connected to everything. <laughs> what you're saying, Ingrid, so yesterday, I've been holding rage clubs in West Auckland, which is a lot of shadow worlds and women wanting to get out of violent relationships. And one of the women called 
with so much mixed emotion. You know, this she'd been with a gang member. Like in Freedom Fighters. <laughs> Oh, this is my world. This is what's on my table. And this gang member had gone through it all. The CCT gate thing and found her and stalked her and she was hysterical. And I want to be what I call the go-to grand when these women don't have an initiated woman in their life. So I've connected so much with what's in this space. So that exquisite pain, Ingrid, of being at the edge and not separating. So yes, Clinton, I cried about the rubbish too. I, even with my attention to not pollute the planet, create rubbish, don't know how to not do. So heaps going on. <laughs> heaps of feelings inside me that I'm glad about. Yeah, I mean, right next door here <clears throat> is a <clears throat> child care centre. Oh no! And they are playing loud rock and roll music for three years old, four years old, five year old kids to try to just sedu- seduce, sed- you know, reduce their ability to be present. Somehow, they can feel something. They're just trying to. It's just horrible. And what? Okay, I I go in there and I, what do I do? You know, turn off the music take over the space, the police come. I don't know, you know, there's so, everywhere I look, there's this this place where the upper world and the underworld meet. And we're, as a human being, that's where you get to be. You get to be this place between heaven and earth. You get to be this place where consciousness can happen. And it's like, okay, consciousness can happen but is it consciousness if there's no action? If there's consciousness, if you don't step in and intervene or cause, create some new options, you know, ask dangerous questions, you know, put it on the table, go, what are you guys really doing here? What's, what is this for really? Is this really what you want to create? You know, and this is what consciousness, that exquisite pain of realizing, realizing, hey, it's is not working or this is insane or this like there's a there's a problem here or let's stop let's do something different like there's this consciousness comes out as actions and i i'm thinking how people you know so many of us are trained to be adaptive and if we be adaptive we're letting the planet get destroyed we're standing by and letting species get exterminated because we're adaptive instead of letting this bright pain move us into different actions and different creations and different relating. And for me, I have a beautiful story. My sister turned 60 soon and 
to have a party, they were going to chop down this beautiful tree so the gazebo fit. So I let my emotions and feelings be here. And James held a space for me. And I said, shall I chain myself, chain myself to the tree to make a stand for this tree not being chopped down? And I think my willingness to do that opened up archetypal forces and we have a cyclone coming and they can't even have their party outside. <laughs> <laughs> so they move into the RSA. <laughs> so now the tree's not being chopped down the cyclone might move off somewhere else (laughs) 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 thank you Dimitra, it seems like things are thank, moving. Thank you, Uncle. Thank you. Uh, I want to say thank you to Janet also. That was beautiful. I, I cannot um, I cannot use words so much, not in Greek, not how much in English, but I somehow I feel what uh, I don't know, I don't remember now the names because my feelings coming up. Um, Show me with your feelings, Dimitra. Mm-hmm. Express it to your feelings. My, 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 like I was, my, my heart was so much in pain. Keep going. I, I feel, um, yeah, this, this, the, this woman that they, they talk, the, the, the two women, Ingrid and Janice, I don't remember the name. Um, so yeah, that was so beautiful. Um, I can, I cannot use words really, but feeling, Seeing all these things happening around, and and I cannot, I cannot, I I can, I like it's everywhere. Like something is happening everywhere, and I don't know. I cannot speak. I cannot say. I cannot use words yet. Don't have the skill yet. But my my my. I visit my friends in Athens. They have a baby. It's 20 years old baby, a 20 days old baby. People like I'm sad because because people Dimitra, if if you can, when you while you're speaking and feeling and you're doing great. Sometimes just open your eyes and you can make contact with just one of us. Yes. Now, anyway, I, I was very, be- it was very beautiful. Okay. It was, thank you. I want to say thank you. It was very beautiful. And what is the name of this of this woman? Janet. Janet. Janet? Yes, Janet. I remember from the first park, you were there in the first park. And I haven't seen you since then, but you were there. And yeah, what what you said about being a woman that I cannot put in the words, but like how I feel it, that that really touched my heart. And yeah, I yeah, I uh, 
I was with a friend before. She was a, she was a, she also received violence and, and she couldn't even speak about it. And I, it's, I'm, I'm angry, very angry and very sad that people that cannot, okay, I, I am, I am, I am, I'm angry because the people, they don't understand what's going on and, and, and other people, they do whatever they want to do and they don't feel and they don't think and I'm so fucking angry and I have been going crazy. I, I, I have been going crazy and I'm, I'm still going crazy because people, they don't get, uh, they don't get it and it's everywhere. The fucking pain is fucking everywhere! Thank you for listening. Okay, thank you for listening my scream, but I'm super fucking angry. Thank you. Dimitra, I know that you've, I've seen on some of the groups that you've been going through this process of starting a possibility team in Greek. I, I want to, like, I am so, I, I want to. Okay. Well, I, I, I really want to. Yeah. Well, the rage, this rage, this rage, that's the force that can create that. And now you have access to it and you can say, I'm angry. You know, a few years ago, you you, you couldn't mm -hmm. distinguish. You just had this pain, but you couldn't name it and use it. And so that's this, this anger is exactly the, the, the force, like the source of, I'm just going to start a possibility team in Greek, even if there's one person. I will keep meeting with this person even if there's one yeah, person, that that's my plan. That's my plan. Even with one person, just I, I want to to go myself there. I will go myself there. Yes. Thank when you. does it start? When does it start? Yeah, I said to Nada on February. I have already committed to Nada on February. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank. Uh, th I want to say thank you. We heard you. Thank you. I'm reading another part of the book right now. It says, it is quite understandable and acceptable to use violence or drugs as a reason to end relating. But when it comes to using lack of intimacy as the reason for ending relating, the reason itself becomes questionable. Without a complete education and training in extraordinary human relating, it is quite predictable that the only kind of relating you can create is ordinary human relating. Ordinary human relating is contexted in and enacted through low drama. It's contexted in low drama and you and it comes out as blame, resentment, withholding, justification, complaining, being right, making other people wrong, etc. It just so happens that these are exactly the same behaviors that avoid intimacy. I mean, there's this spark, I think, it's about low drama is false intimacy or low drama is gremlin intimacy. So, 
because it seems really intimate, you know, this kind of low drama stuff, but it's, it feeds a, a shadow purpose. Until you have practiced creating extraordinary human relating with feedback and coaching for some time, you will most likely continue creating only ordinary human relating. And so having no ability to create intimacy and then using lack of intimacy as a reason to end relating, as common as this is, it's, it's also very absurd. It approaches being really absurd. But it can get even more complex and absurd. Take, for example, resentment. Once we have, once you have buried a resentment about your partner into your heart, it means hooked. Once resentment is hooked into your heart, that resentment will stay there and will continue causing pain until such time as you consciously and intentionally take that particular resentment apart. And it says in the book to take it out of your heart, but you cannot do that. You have to take part of your box apart. You have to destroy, dismantle the part of your box that's getting fed from the resentment. You have to take that apart. Part of you has to die for the resentment to stop. And the part is this unconscious part of your box has to die for the resentment to stop. So, so the pain of having that resentment provides you with justifiable experiential reason for behaving with disrespect toward your partner. And, oh, by the way, fulfilling your shadow principles and abundantly feeding your gremlin at your partner's expense. So this whole thing about resentment is, is it's like the last chapter of a long series of events. I'm not sure if it goes into it right now, but it's this, you know, if you make any assumption, if you make an assumption about your partner, they should, they should not, they want, they don't want, they like, they don't like, you make an assumption about your partner, then since you're so smart, you think that your assumption is true. You know, you won't make an assumption unless you think it's true. So then as soon as you decide that your assumption is true, you change it into an expectation. Then you have an expectation that your partner likes, does not like, will, will not, sees, does not see, whatever the expectation is. And then the moment the expectation is not fulfilled, you get resentment. You have this expectation. It's not fulfilled. Then you feel this resentment. You put this thing in your heart and then you use your relating for gremlin food. So it, it turns out, let me just say this, it turns out that making an assumption is a setup for gremlin food. And that's why it's so valuable to just keep checking things and keep talking and keep relating, you know, keep saying what you want, what you don't want. Here's an assumption. I, I my, my box wants to assume that. Is this true? Is it not true? And keep talking like that because otherwise... Even one assumption sets up one expectation, sets up one resentment. Your intimacy is over. And it's all for gremlin. What were you going to say? I was going to say just that the experience of resentment is a mixed emotion, but it's mostly rage. So it's this it's this rage of 
feeling betrayed. It's this, and that's the resentment. Just as a so, just so that you have a, the word matches a experiential uh, reality, like an ex, an experience. And I, just having, you know, worked on my own resentment and expectation and assumption, mm-hmm. is so much of the assumptions come from it also comes from a cultural a cultural pressure assumption like the the assumption of um you know that you should know your partner so it's so amazing that when i go and visit other people's you know house and i'm downstairs or whatever and and they say well what what do clean what the what does clinton want i'm like and I can feel this, like, God, I'm, I'm like on moving sin and I should know. And, you know, this is like assumption that I should know what Clinton and, and being, okay, this is, that comes from a, a cultural, it's like a cultural uh, context, a particular cultural context where it, it is, it, relating means you know your partner. And I'm like, okay, and I actually live in a different cultural context where actually we celebrate not knowing each other. We celebrate not knowing the taste of each other or what we want moment moment to moment, and so, and and it can be assumptions, you know, really from having seen how your parents relate, how your the friends, you know, your your the parents of your friends relate, the other people at your work relate, being, uh, they saying this is a a good way of relating, and and you take on the assumption of that's a good way of relating, that's. So to to really, it's it's an amazing process to you know go about a day, you know, and that could be the experiment for next week because we haven't come up with any experiment yet. But the next week is start your day and make no assumption about anything. Just make no assumption, and you. About anything, I mean, and, and not just with your partner, but also with in other parts of your relating, and see what happens. See what what kind of questions come up. See what kind of uh, relating shows up when you make zero zero assumption about how things should be, what's important, what do you need to talk about, what um, cannot be talked about. Yeah, what cannot be talked about. Yeah. What what looks what would be a good you know especially this thing about what is a good relationship you know what is good relating. I wanted to share something um, about a resentment and um, Sonia and I had a call last week um, about exactly this process of resentment and I went into resentments I have towards the man I love and after a few moments I could detect that the first evening where we met when I drove with a train to Lisbon and he picked me up and he brought me to his place and we just had we never had a really um, loving contact it was the start this moment he didn't ha- he haven't had prepared something he haven't had something to drink or to eat yeah and i could detect that i started to make a resentment there i didn't feel taken care i didn't feel loved even and this was the start of our love relation 
uh, our relating. Yeah. So and it, I'm happy that I could track it back already there, and I have to see now what I'm doing with this because I tried already to take some resentments back with him. Let's see how it goes, but I'm happy to have res detected this one right from the beginning. Yeah. Thank so thank you, you Sonia. Mm -hmm. oh. Angela, I just want to say because it was in your in the way you said it is you can't you cannot take back uh, resentment. Ah, no, the expectation. Okay. The thing is, if you already have the resentment, you can't take back the expectation. Mm -hmm. You get it? You have okay. to you first have to take apart the resentment, which is probably, you know, for example, in your case, it would be something like the the assumption, the expectation come from projecting some somebody else on your partner. It comes from a projection. Yeah. I mean, what I thought, what I think it's like making clear where I have the feeling from, it's like this um, fantasy world, how one should take care if one f meets the first time, the prince should be like this. Yeah, so yeah, to really dismantle it, yeah, and show what has happened. So that's that's one part of dismantling the resentment. It's going back to the fantasy world, the projection, the so that's one part. And then the other part of the dismantling is facing this person and 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 in a way it's like completely apologizing. Admitting. Yeah, admitting me. I I put the Prince Charming on you instead of being with you. And and the and also it's like um yeah, and this huge pain also in the other person of having, you know, been taken for somebody they're not. And so, yes. yeah, so there's these two parts to the discussion. Yes, yes. I'm often, when I'm, when I'm talking like this, I'm so excited that I didn't, uh, I'm not so precise with the words. Yeah. Yeah, but, yeah, thank you. Wait, and and then Gina, yeah, I have a question. Is there a threshold for for responsibility and irresponsibility when you're navigating um, something like low drama? With say another an person? I, Gina. Say I and give a specific example, okay? I want to lo navigate low drama. Um, effectively or or healthfully in a relation in relating with others, and I want to know if there's a line of what's responsible and what's irresponsible. Like if low, like you make it, I make a decision. I want to navigate low drama. Um, about and then, what? About what? What's um, an example? <clears throat> Uh, like expressing that I want something to be different than it is. Um, okay. Okay. So I express that. And then um, if, if nothing changes, is it, or 
So my question is, um, is, is trying to navigate, is trying to keep navigating if low drama keeps happening responsible or irresponsible, or is there a threshold at which it's, you should stop relating, like relating, like it's, it's irresponsible now, it's not changing. So maybe relating needs to end or, or it's always, or it's responsible to keep trying to navigate. Yeah. There's, what it sounds like to me is that you saying what you want for the other person to create what you want instead of you taking responsibility for creating what you want. And so immediately then you, that's, that's a low drama. That's a, you know, then you're manipulation. manipulation. You're the victim and they're the rescuers because they have to create what you want for you. And so it seems then you, that's the only technique that you've had so far it seems and but there's millions of experiments to create what you want and that's the that's the that's the adult that's the responsibility that's the ecstasy of trying over and over again different experiments or even similar experiments to say to be okay i'm gonna i'm i want this i'm gonna create it and i haven't found a way yet how to create this let me find a way and it, and if it works one time, it doesn't mean it's going to work the next time. So you, you don't. There's no method for this for this extraordinary relating to happen. And one of the skills involved in that is making proposals. And so instead of trying to manipulate or question, you, you formulate a proposal. Like I propose that we do this or try this i i propose that i I'm, I'm inviting you to try this so it's a proposal so when, when you make a proposal the other person gets to say yes or no or they can say yes and which means i i i adopt this i accept this part of your proposal and let's add in this or let's change this part and then there's a proposal back to you and you can say, does that work or does it not work? And you go, okay, no, that doesn't work. I propose. And you keep you proposing back and forth. Actually, you would say yes and. Yes and. Not. Yeah, it's a negotiation. So you're negotiating using proposals. And you can even negotiate that if the other person says no, because they have no other options, like they don't know that they can say yes and, for example, you can even say, I propose that when we negotiate intimacy, we use yes and so that i get to know what you want and mm -hmm. i can i can say what i want and you get to say what what you want and we then we found you know we 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 it's like being you know abundantly nonlinear creative to find that we both get what we want no compromise you both get what you want while negotiating and but that you know it's so Gina, do you get a strategy? Do you get like a plan? You get the next things to practice. Mm -hmm. Okay, good. Yeah, that's the idea. Tor, you're going to say something, or Gina, did you want to say something else? No, that's all. Thank you. Go ahead, Tor. Drawing from the world of improv, there's an activity when you're doing the yes and when you're negotiating proposals. One practice 
is to build momentum by saying what I like about that idea. If you can find something you like about the proposal to acknowledge that, that builds the momentum and starts to build the common creativity. Thank you. That's from uh, Sue. I forget her last name, who I learned it from. She's a great improviser. Thank you. Sue Walden, sorry. Thank you. Yeah, the other component about, you know, proposals and negotiating things that I wanted to share with, with the group, but I wanted Gina to hear was like a time frame. So it doesn't like, like to remember a time frame as part of the negotiation that it doesn't, it's, we're going to try this and it's forever, you know, it's a week or a month or whatever. I, I find that's really important for me. Yeah, cool. Yeah, especially especially with but, but, <laughs> no, especially in not building assumptions, not building assumption and then expectation <laughs> and then creating resentment that it's going to be forever. Yeah. yeah. And to keep. And then renegotiating like, okay, this is what worked. This is what didn't work. You know, let's keep this or let's, you know, it's, yeah. I feel joy just talking about it because I love that so much. <laughs> Nicole, where are your workshops in negotiating intimacy? <laughs> Well, let's see. Um, things are going to change because I'll be online mostly, I think, uh, for the next year when we start traveling. Um, but right now, while I'm still here in Miami, um, um, on Thursdays, you know, I meet with well, we meet as a community and we do um, book reading of, of the same book um, and use that as like a springboard the same way we do here pretty much. And then the rest of the day, and some people stay for like eight hours, like it's like a one day bridge house or something. And then we do maybe privates or other group things, processes, rage work, healing processes. Sometimes there's three healing processes going on in my house at the same time. And yeah, <laughs> so yeah, so I guess I, I am doing it um, when I think about your question, okay. but yeah, Um I want to. I want to take your proposal to write about it and maybe get more clarity and and yes, share more. Cool, because this is such a it's such a new skill. It is something that we've just not been trained in at all. And in the beginning, it's so muddy and so, and we don't even know how to start. And so to have you know even a four weeks, six weeks series of just practicing, you know, in a feedback, like in a held space, feedback and coaching space of, hey, how can I, how can I there's something I want. How can I make a proposal to create what I want? And, and um, that is just, yeah, a fabulous um, practice. Thank you. Cool. Yeah, that was one of my motivations to, to, I'm going to, um, I'm starting another rage, well, participating in another rage club starting this week with Patricio. And then I'll do the rage club space holder training that comes after that. So, yeah, I feel a lot of joy about doing a rage club now after a couple of, yeah, after a few and seeing where that, they, well, more clarity, because because I'm at a point where I do want more clarity about, um, you know, what I'm, what I, what I'm offering and what I want to, what I want to offer more of. The thing about that, Nicole, is that the clarity doesn't really come from participating in other people's space. It comes from delivering your own space. And then you'll see immediately where you're going, you know, what is pulling you, what is turning you on, where, where are you moving your space? And, but if you're not in the hot seat, like if you're not at this edge of, 
in the hot seat, it's it's it, it, you won't be as close as this thing of hey, what 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 is my specialty? What am I delivering? Who am I here in this village? And and really, each person in this team here in this group, you guys could once a month be delivering a work talk online, an online work talk. And so a work talk is really straightforward. It's there's a website called how to how to give a work talk. And it's 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 like you just take one distinction or maybe even two and you talk about it for five to ten minutes about landing that distinction in this space. And then you say, are there any questions? And people will have questions. And that's where you by answering those questions is how you will learn what you learn, you like learn what you become what you what you are by answering those questions and it's a work talk because after the dis- the first part of the discussion you know you questions and answers and you're investigating and going on this journey of discovery then you do a little exercise so it is not just a talk people don't just get to sit there and think about something because they're going to be paired up with somebody they don't know trying to do a skill they can't do and getting feedback and coaching about how they're doing Usually groups of three, send people out, give them five, seven minutes each. So it takes a half hour to do the thing. And then they come back and then you just take sharing. And that this is your work talk. So it's straightforward, simple, and so valuable for you, for them. And you charge what, 10, 10 bucks or something, you know, and it's, it's people can pay it. And it's, it's just fabulous environment to research together and really Ex, uh, builds matrix in you, builds matrix in them. It's just this once a month, do an online work talk about the thing that you're most interested in learning about. It's not about what you know. It's about what you want to explore. And that's the difference. So it's fabulous to do that. Because then it'll turn into a workshop. It'll turn into an article, mm-hmm. turn into a book. It'll turn into a specialty. A, a specialty. It'll turn into a lot of stuff. I want to read this next couple parts from the book because it's pretty direct and it's about what we're talking about. And it says, so I'll read the last part of the last sentence, which is, well, the, the pain of having a resentment that you put in your own heart, it provides you with the justifiable experiential reason, the experience is the pain of resentment for behaving with disrespect towards your partner and, oh, by the way, fulfilling your shadow principles and abundantly feeding your gremlin at your partner's expense. You may therefore set up a complex, mostly unconscious, ordinary human relationship game with your partner based on reasons that are empowered by resentments about things that happened between you long ago. Just like Angela said, you know, the first time they came together, she got this resentment and then the whole thing has been powered by it since then. So this, so it's like we're milking the goat after the goat, you know, is 40 years old or something. So it's like really dragging this thing out. It happened long ago. Taking away even one resentment would destabilize your entire game, this entire underworld gremlin feeding game. Without the heart-torturing resentment, you might lose motivation for your revengeful behavior 
And then your gremlin would have to go hungry. I mean, resentment-empowered reasons justifying subtle and overt gremlin-feeding interactions is how most people live out their ordinary human relationship. Right? I mean, if you look around at the people around you, you go, here is resentment-empowered reasons justifying gremlin-feeding interactions. And if you go to a cafe or you go to people a dinner party or something, and what you see people do is mostly this kind of stuff. And it's so from this perspective, it may seem easier to not learn anything about all this stuff and to let things stay how they are because it's complex. You know, it sounded complex, but if things how they are have to become what are to become are to become too painful to continue, then ending your relating looks easier then even more painful process of taking the hooks of resentment out of your heart and starting over again with the same person. So it looks easier to end than it does to take, to like kill this part of your box that's feeding on these resentment, on this resentment. It looks more painful, less painful to end the relating than, than to leave the resentment, create another partnership whatever and then do the same thing with them you know a couple weeks later a few months later go ahead angela yeah then i have a question if it would for example be a possibility that i ask um josh if he can detect resentments towards me because I, I just recognized if I would ask him, did you have expectations or what are your expectations? He would neglect that he has any. Yeah, but I'm I'm feeling that he also has resentments and I'm not sure. I would like to know them. I would like to get clearer what is in the way. Yeah, it will start with you, Angela. It's called putting poop on the table. You put the poop on the table and you go, you know, I need to admit that on this mm -hmm. first day, the second day, whatever, I I have been carrying this resentment and I'm I'm this part of me that's using you to feed my gremlin. I'm taking that mm -hmm. part apart. Can you believe it? Can you believe that I would mm -hmm. come to you and then make this resentment. And it's this terror, this part of myself that has been my whole life. I've been feeding my gremlin on intimate relationship. And mm -hmm. this is over. I'm taking this apart. And if you do that, it opens up this space where he could do that. Yes. Oh, no, it's not my experience because what I, I mentioned it before already that I try to do it with him and he is and I I have I think it's a it was a good conversation and he is destroyed afterwards. So my question would be how could I seduce him into he's, you cannot he, he no he I cannot yeah. yeah. That's called manipulation, it's abusive. You cannot mm. seduce somebody into evolution. It does not work like that. And you, you don't have to be a victim of his own resentment. 
So because you're learning to notice your own resentment, you know, this experience, the when when his resentment will show up, his resentment will show up towards you, you will notice it. It will have the same flavor, you know, the same energy as your own. And and you can and you know, at this point you can say, Hey, um, you know, I'm not a you know, I'm just your resentment doesn't work on me. You will not manipulate me with your own resentment. But if you're interested, or, or I'm interested to know what was your expectation towards me, you can open mm-hmm. a door like that. What mm-hmm. you, it seems like you were expecting something from me that I didn't mm-hmm. fulfill. What yeah. was it? Okay, yeah. this is, yeah. Yeah, like this question, yeah. yeah. But in like the moment, me. you know, in the moment, not mm-hmm. as a yeah, side conversation. No, in this moment, yeah, when I feel, yeah, thank you. Wolf, you have something? Yeah, um, thank you, Clinton. I have been, like, uh, hearing the talk about, uh, a while ago, about um, people taking drugs, um, prescription or... Uh, not prescription drugs and subsequently not being present because they have this buffer between whatever is and um, the inner experience that has the drug in between or the drug-induced uh, subjective change in perception and reactiveness and whatnot um, to facilitate no depression or whatever it is that they're trying to do with the drug. So what occurs to me and also what I notice in my day-to-day experience is that I come across often, I I often come across people who may not be on any uh, prescription or non-prescription recreational drug and yet there is no one home. They're in the past, they're in the future, um, they're in some resentment, uh, which is a past, a movie about uh, past emotions that were unexpressed and unresolved and so forth. And consequently, because of this non-presence, it's actually really challenging to relate with this person because there isn't anybody really there. There's someplace else, uh, wherever that might be. And um, so for me, the relating becomes a little bit dead and empty. So what's your that quality? No, I don't have a question. It's more of a remark to say, hey, it's not just drugs. It's simply emotional habits um, that we learn in our culture, which make it challenging or difficult at all to relate to someone. Or it could be somebody who is wearing a costume and they're now reacting and um, behaving from a pattern in their costume. This is who I am. You know, I'm a this and I'm a that officer or whatever. And to actually relate to the human being becomes, yeah, tricky. Well, so that what you just said, it becomes tricky. Is this is our challenge? I mean, it's your challenge. And the the mm. question that helps me when when faced with that is, what experiment am I doing right now? What is my experiment? So it's not as if you already know how to. What's the key to get through their buffer zone? What's the, how, how? What's the key to mm. talk to the part that's not present what's the key to, to go through the costume and and you know have a heart-to-heart conversation with somebody wearing a police costume so there's there's so mm-hmm. many 
it's the challenge is what experiment are you trying right now? And and you could have a toolbox actually of experiments. You can just develop this toolbox of experiments. And a lot of them, what I find, have to do with accessing unreasonable or nonlinear possibilities in terms of the offer. So, and it, that can also include humor. Like nonlinearity often includes humor. And because if you if somebody laughs, the laughter itself is pretty much a present experience. They might laugh for something that's from the past or the future, but the actual experience of laughing is a present time experience. And just by getting somebody to laugh, and so there's so many ways to do that. I mean, I'm and Chloe and I kind of practice this with pretty much everybody we meet in shops or walking down the street or like anything like we the comments that come out like the invitations that come out i I haven't documented them but can you say anything about it i mean like examples yeah if you remember any but i mean a lot of it comes from like i was with this taxi driver Mm -hmm. in bali and we're sitting next to him and it comes from nowhere i just said do you like dogs how do what and the guy turned out to love dogs. I hate dogs. He loves dogs. And so I pretended like I was this total dog lover. And we had this incredible 45-minute conversation, 30-minute conversation about the incredible, you know, what's what what's the name of your dog? What does your dog do? And it's like it was in the moment. Like we had this whole great interaction about something I'd hate. And so it's the, these impulses. It's a... So it's a tool, a tool chest, a toolbox full of nonlinear and unreasonable mm, offers that you can make. And I, maybe as an example is, uh, for example, one of the experiments I do also as a space holder and as a trainer is that I, I, I find one thing that I love about the person mm-hmm. I'm relating to. And so when it's somebody that I don't know, for example, I was at a bookshop buying this book called dune which i love this book and the guy said i've given this book to four different people in you know over christmas and i said well what do you love about the book and he started giving me like you said wolf like kind of this superficial uh the party line the party line of the bookstore about dune and i said no i want to know what you love about it and he started talking about this fremen culture from this book which is actually contexted in radical responsibility and it's and it's at the center of the culture is ecological regeneration and he said i did not grow up in a culture when that was the center of of the culture and i and i love that and and i said okay you're a revolutionary and immediately he started laughing and and so and and i anyway i gave him a card about the start over game but that was you know he gave me the show and I and I stayed was like, what do you really love? Who are you? You know, what is this part of you that can love? And I, I want to hear about it. Yeah. So I can love that part of you also. Yeah. So I really well, appreciate both your comments. I want to make um, I, I want to make a deal with you, which is we have a website called Zombies, and Zombies, Zombies, Z O M B I E S, Zombies, and it's yeah, Zombies yeah, okay. and it's that's the name that I give to a person who plays in a game world and is not taking responsibility for the values of the game world. 
So they're functioning in a zombie level or a sleep level. But there's it's it's pretty empty so far. It needs more stuff. So Wolf, if you start developing this toolbox of approaches, linear, nonlinear, and unreasonable approaches for shifting a, a space, like bringing a waking moment, you know, a near life experience to a to a zombie. Please write it down, okay? And start if you would like work with me on building up this tool chest for like approaching zombies and bringing them back to life at least for a moment. You know, that would it's a fabulous gift. So if you are you willing to do that? I mean, is that something you might do? Um first of all, I where is the zombie website that you're talking about? You go online, you type w you know, http whatever it is. Zombies.mystrikingly.com. Ah, mystrikingly. Okay. It's in the chat. Just put put it in the chat there. And yeah, that's where it is. Right. Okay. Thank you for that. I I am pondering on that. Um, I've got a full list of to do's and um, uh, (laughs) I'm not quite, uh, yeah, I'm struggling to keep on top of my my jobs. And I'm interested to. Do you have one of these? To rewind. You have a little beep. It's a little beep. It's a I've little got a big beep book. And, uh, yeah, I'm too disorganized to stay on top of it all. No, but um, if, you, if you, at the back of the book, you just title a page zombie, zombie wake up calls or something. And then you, whenever okay. you think of one, whenever you try one, you just put it on there. And after six months, you know, send me an email or something. Thank you. Um, what I notice is that in certain contexts, I do exactly what you're describing. And I knew it. Strangely, I knew it. Yeah. Strangely, I just um, noticed that in my last relationship, I got stuck and didn't do that. I got stuck on attempting to create emotional or physical intimacy um, in ways that didn't work for the woman. And consequently, I bailed out. I went, this is, this is just too, too, too difficult here, whatever. Um, or we did have physical intimacy, but there's not one home. And I go, oh, this is too painful. I just bail out. I can't cope with being with somebody who's, who's a zombie, really, this whole zombie business. And, um, yeah, but from, your examples I get, oh, this is this is a different tack. So this is very helpful. And the second thing that occurs to me in listening to you, Clinton, is the dog story. Um hearing that here you are with this taxi driver in Bali and um you have an intuitive response that uh, you know, talking about dogs, even though you don't like dogs. So as you are talking about dogs as though you have an interest in dogs, not an adaptive behavior, I'm wondering. Yeah, it's not. It's a, thanks for the question. It's, it was not pretending like I like dogs. I was not pretending like I like dogs. I'm not lying. But okay, I, I, one of the only songs I've memorized is about how to be a dog. Oh, I want to be a dog. I want a big wet nose. Okay. Want to run in the street, get mud on my feet, and jump up onto your clothes? Oh, I want to be a dog. It goes on like this, and so it's yeah. this, 
I love this song because it's so like dogs are like that. You know, this is exactly what yeah. dogs are. And so, yeah. Okay. So it's a, it's a, a okay. what I was really doing is I was having this being to being this yellow being to being connection between me and the driver. Not so much that mm. he would get lost or crash the car, but enough of, mm. I was enjoying the company of this man who I never met before who loves dogs mm. But I'm, but it was this actually this being to being connection yeah. of that I was appreciating, and the 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 content of it was trivial, but the being to being yeah. connection is not, and it fed yeah. both. Of us. I got it now. Okay, I got it from through the song because it's the immediacy that you used as a channel to connection. Yeah, really, yeah. and it happened to have a content that worked for him. Bang. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And you serve the content. Yes, but it's really the immediacy that is what creates the connection. Yeah, thank you. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Very helpful. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Mm. We have a couple of minutes. Does anybody need to or want to say anything or need anything? I feel more unstuck about relating. I was, I'm realizing I was looking at it as like a thing, like a relationship more relating. And so, I mean, I had the relating piece, but I feel it more now. And so I feel like move, I'm like move, I feel movement instead of stuckness. So thank you, everybody. Yay. And Gina, yeah, don't mm -hmm. hesitate to. You know, we have this possibility creation village, and this is really also a space to share, like what you're discovering as as this all this liquid state is happening. And you know, sometimes, especially if you're you know traveling or a nomad, there's people around you that might not be able to celebrate with you your liquid state or your discovery. You no, know, they might think, oh, it's interesting, or oh, okay, Gina, you know, another thing from Gina or whatever. But but in this village, we can you know, this kind of liquid state we celebrate. And and that could be a, an anchor point to get this kind of a witnessing, like a completion of, uh, like a completion loop. It's like, okay, we hear you, we celebrate you, and, and it makes it real in a way that, you know, so much we've learned to have secret lives. We, we've just learned to, like, protect sort of our heart and our soul and our experiments because, you know, fear of judgment or criticism or being laughed at or humiliated and and actually the witnessing is 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 part of the transformation when other people can see who you're becoming and then they can relate to you as who you're becoming instead of you know the old uh, vision of of Gina and so the that's on this telegram group which one is it yeah the creation village that would be the, the best the place. yeah anybody wants to be in it just let us know yeah thank you all for being here thanks for doing your experiments. It's wonderful that we get to hang out with you for a bit. See you next week. Same time. Okay. Bye-bye, guys. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye, Laura. Okay. Bye. <laughs> cool.